0: Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, second-year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, Aaron. And second-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, Aaron. Views expressed on Let's Get Psyched those of the speaker, they do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. I always challenge myself to say that as quickly as possible. Just saying that's <laughs> you how do say it joys. really fast, yeah. <laughs> I get all the joys the show. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the glymphatic system, which is something I know nothing about, which is great because we have two doctors here, Uh well, psychiatrists.
1: And Aaron, It's I think the reason I'm so excited to do this, and I want to say... This was a scary episode for us because we're embarking on doing an episode about a really new and sexy topic in medicine and we are none of us are experts on it but we're imagining experts enough that we can help the audience kind of hear this but this is something that we don't know about either because this was not taught when we were in med school and I mean as I'm, I'm the least senior member here I was in med school one and a half years ago So this is an extremely new thing. I just found out about it about a month ago. I think it's exciting that there's a a full system in the brain. We're not talking about a metaphorical sort of computer model of cognition system. We're talking about a physical proposed but uh, seemingly existing system in the brain (laughs) that is um, inside all of our heads singing along right now
0: oh why should i care let's get to the what what is it
1: because yeah that's a that's a great question let's see if i can take a stab at this you should care because knowing about this system will will help you function better in daily life potentially prevent cancer potentially um decrease your chance of alzheimer's dementia um you should care because there are studies being done about ways to potentially enhance this system that could prevent dementia or, and, and seems to do so in rats um how's that uh good because I don't
0: want cancer that's definitely I, a thing that I don't want
2: I also asked one of my medical students today from UCR and she said that they she's never heard of it so they're not studying it in med school today so right. yeah I, I g- just g- want to emphasize me, it's but, new. <laughs>
0: No, that sounds like it's so new that maybe, I don't know, is it hard to describe? But give me a a, a kind of a quick and dirty definition of this thing so I can try to wrap my head around it, see how it helps me.
2: The way that I think about it after reading about it it is it seems to be a sort of waste removal system for the brain, and it also distributes uh, important compounds that don't you know that aren't waste um that the brain needs uh it seems to be mostly functioning during sleep um and yeah so so it's like what alan says it's it's a system going on in our brain and it's contributing to the function the optimal functioning of our brain
0: it's just one of the reasons why sleep is so important Mm
2: -hmm.
1: definitely so so and let's let's start by giving a little let's back up just a little bit. Um, even farther back than what Tosh said. Hopefully it's okay that I call it. I I Tosh is a fine, friend of mine, so fine. I call her Tosh on the podcast <laughs> and that's probably a little too informal. Um, is it okay if I call you Al? Yes, I would like that. <laughs> okay, okay. Yes. Um so Glymphatic system is a, I'm going to say this wrong, a portmanteau, a portmendu. <laughs> is that like Katmandu? Anywho, um, the, the, it's a combination of the word glia, which if I remember correctly means glue in Latin and is a category of cells in the brain which do some different things. But the the fact that it means glue in Latin is reference to the fact that they they help brain cells sort of adhere to each other and they, they help in, such, in a sort of structural way in the brain. But there's also different type of neuroglia. So neuro is brain and glia is glue. Um, and there's something called microglia, which are the brain's macrophages. And macrophages are these very cool cells that they basically eat anything they don't like, and then they have really, really acidic tummies. Now, of course, I'm speaking metaphorically here, right? But you can picture a, a ball that looks kind of like Jigglypuff. I don't know if that's actually the shape of the cell, but that's how they are depicted. <laughs> and this ball goes up to its enemies, and it says, I'm going to eat you, and I have really bad stomach acid, and you're going to die. And that's a, a huge mechanism for clearing stuff that we don't like in the brain. So glia are these cells that are doing a lot of different things in the, in the brain. And then there's this thing called the lymphatic system. Um, it's interesting because we think of vessels in the body. We think of uh, mainly blood vessels, right, veins and arteries. And I think it, the public doesn't often think about the fact that we have sizable and considerable vessels that are running... Another fluid through our body, they eventually dump into the veins, but for a while they're independent and they start as these tiny microscopic collecting ducts for waste in what's called the interstitia, which is kind of the fluid that escapes to the areas between the cells in our body. So, if you can imagine free floating fluid with waste products in it that the cells are kind of dumping out um, in the body, and like when your feet get swollen, that's because they have a lot of that free free floating fluid. that free floating fluid then collects into these ducts and these ducts kind of converge on vessels and the vessels converge on larger vessels and those vessels converge on larger vessels in the same way that capillaries turn into veins. But this is called the lymphatic system and the lymphatic system takes all this junk and it puts it into the veins so that it can then be filtered out by different filters in the body like the lungs function as the filter, the spleen functions as a filter, the kidneys function as a filter, the liver functions as a filter. All these things can be filtered out and detoxified. Um, Extremely important for our existence. So if you take the glia and the lymphatic system and you merge them, you get this glymphatic system name.
0: All right, and it helps to to kind of think of these things, uh, these systems as working in concert to uh, enhance your psychological functioning, your mental processes, uh, maybe prevent um, Alzheimer's disease, something like that.
2: Apparently the glymphatic system even dumps into the lymphatic system. That's what they're finding.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Mm-hmm.
2: It's all connected.
0: Okay, so it, uh, my thought, I mean, go go with it however you, I'm just thinking of a person that wants to improve their health. So uh, is there anything that I can do? So sleep more, yes, I've got that on my checklist. I do, let's I say that we
1: will not forget that person let's say that we like to on the podcast we like to have kind of our action items be towards the end is that okay Aaron oh sure okay so let's keep talking about it but we have some good action items for you and I do want to say that because this is so new and sexy um, not all of the stuff that we're doing is as firmly anchored in evidence as stuff from the past a lot some of it is expert speculation by leaders in the field so it's not it's not snake oil but it's not randomized control trial level of evidence either we'll we'll say that um for for the tips section that'll come later
0: well how do you know it's like not operating efficiently or well what like what are the signs of like oh you know, well the problem here's a problem oh okay. your glymphatic okay. system is all screwed up So there's different proteins that can
1: accumulate in cells. And um, those proteins... So so some famous ones, one of them is called beta amyloid and one of them is called tau and they're associated with Alzheimer's, dementia. Um, There's other proteins. I believe they're proteins. One is called Lewy bodies. Um, I I believe they're also... You know, what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit while I while I'm sure that what I said was right. But I think actually almost every type of uh, neurocognitive disorder involving dementia has proteins that are sort of matched with it.
2: Yeah, you're right. And Lewy
1: bodies are proteins. Not yeah, not just. I I think there's even proteins for Parkinson's. Um, and I know there's like alpha syn. Oh, that's the Lewy bodies. Never mind. So. Um, anywho, those proteins are potentially, or at least some of those proteins are potentially cleared by this system. And if this system wasn't work, working well, which is the case in older individuals, that can lead to accumulation of these proteins in cells because they're not able to leave. And I think and you're, while, you
2: were talking about Lewy bodies in Parkinson's too. Tell us. So that, that's what you were talking about. In Parkinson's, you have Lewy body.
1: Oh, yes, yes, that's right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so the idea is that if this was not functioning correctly, that might uh, result in the, in the acceleration of some of these diseases um, and also has been thought to potentially lead to cancers. Um, there was one study in Nature, I believe, where they looked at kind of aiding the glymphatic system along with some ultrasound stimulus. And that study ended up um, finding that they were able to dissolve greater amounts of these proteins. Is that what you saw, Tosha? Or did you not look at that one?
2: I didn't see that one. Um, I I wanted to talk about one study I saw though that sounded pretty interesting. Tell us. So um, apparently one of the first times the glymphatic system was actually traced was in an in vivo mice study uh, in 2012 where they used photon microscop- microscopy, which is um, using like these fluorescent markers that you can watch um, while the mouse is alive just passing through the, the CNS or the central nervous system. So that was one of the first earliest okay. times that okay. they traced. What is traced- the central
1: nervous system? or at least what do you mean by it here
2: um so we're talking about the brain specifically uh but as a major part of the central nervous system
1: cool and we're talking about the flow of of cerebrospinal fluid through the brain and spine which are kind of traditionally i'm just trying to make this available to to all our non-doctor listeners um the central nervous system is con- traditionally considered the brain and spine and this whole theory is kind of a an evolution of a previous idea and thank thank you tosha for having kind of pointed this out that this isn't exactly like a a de novo out of the clouds invention of this system this is or or sorry discovery of this system this is kind of an evolutionary on a on, an evolution on a previous idea of h- how cerebrospinal fluid flowed through the brain and spinal cord and was kind of filtered. Um, Yeah, sorry. Back to you, Tosh.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just thought that was interesting that there is, you know, um, there is actual evidence because when you first mentioned this, I had the thought of, is this real? Like, I've never heard of this. Um, But the fact that it's been traced and then they've actually realized how there's an exchange um, of the fluid how the glymphatic fluid is um, formed I, I guess you would say is through some osmotic pressures and things which I think Alan you
1: I'm pretty I don't know if you want to take a stab that at that yeah I mean this is all risky waters for us and so we're so please appreciate our efforts but um, it's it's pretty exciting the idea here is that there's a pressure, a pressure differential between one more central part of the brain and one more peripheral part of the brain, and that cerebrospinal fluid, which is this fluid. Okay, so yeah, we kind of need to explain that. So there's this thing called the blood-brain barrier, and basically the idea is that blood is actually really toxic to the brain, and if you ever get a spill of blood in your brain, that's called a hemorrhagic stroke, and it's going to be the worst pain you've ever had in your life, and you're going to go to the hospital, hopefully, or else you'll die. And, um, it's, it's, uh, that blood, if you survive it, that blood that stays in your brain will do damage for a long time. And that the breakdown products from that blood will continue to be seen on brain scans, um, creating, I would venture to say permanent damage to the brain. Um, yeah, that's not even that bold an assumption. Um, and so what so the brain but the brain needs to be able to get all the good stuff that's in blood right so what we do is we have these what's called fenestrated capillaries um which have a layer of kind of cells that from the brain that are hugging them and the hug from those outside cells kind of creates like a filter and, and Aaron, am I making sense? I kind of need to make sure that I'm not – it makes sense in my head, but is, is there – does this need to be further clarified?
0: Yeah, this is uh, our show that is challenging everyone to nerd out with us on a completely new topic that it requires definitions of many concepts. Yeah, yeah, And if yeah, you're yeah, just yeah. joining us, yes, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. We're talking about the glymphatic system. See, this is what we do. We make sure that we scan we scan the horizons for the newest, most interesting topics, and this is definitely one of those. It, well, at least it meets the the definition of the newest, one of the newest. Ones. <laughs> so new, it's not even being discussed in some medical schools. Just this, I, that's this, real. Yeah, uh, but the lymphatic really system. This really my eye. And, no, this and, is a very important thing. I don't doubt that for a second.
1: And I think this is the future. Uh, so okay, so so all right, we're picturing of an a capillary, which is the tiniest of blood vessels, and it's surrounded by like a hug from cells and if you're being hugged by something you're being constricted and that constriction creates kind of like a filter and that filter doesn't let big parts of the blood and of course we're talking on a microscopic level but big parts of the blood like blood cells through but it lets little things through that we need in the brain like nutrients and um, oxygen and and, in its dissolved Form and and things that are that are good. Um, that's called the blood-brain barrier, and I'm sure. Well, I'm not sure, but maybe you've heard of discussions of which things can and can't cross the blood-brain barrier, which is both a physical and a chemical um, filter barrier. And so, anything that makes it through the blood-brain barrier and is allowed to be brain juice, it becomes called cerebrospinal fluid. And cerebro means brain and spine means spine and fluid means fluid, right? And so any the the filtrate from the blood becomes the cerebrospinal fluid. And that fluid has the ability to kind of act like blood does for the rest of the body. So it carries nutrients, but it also takes away waste. And what we're learning is that there's this pressure differential that allows it to kind of be directional and allows it to carry the waste into certain ducts in the in the brain that are gonna carry that then into the lymphatic system and get rid of it. And that system works better apparently, one when you're sleeping and two when you're horizontal.
2: Hmm. I didn't no, see that part. That
0: that, that is good. It's a good reason to lay down a lot. So I, I, I like think laying down.
2: I think Ellen you're also talking about those proteins that contribute to dementia other cognitive disorders um and how if those things don't get cleared out by the uh glymphatic system um that's one of the hypotheses that they're having is um the reduced sorry let me back here. the reduced efficiency of the glymphatic system, which happens as we age, is one of the contributing factors to developing dementia. And then also in traumatic brain injury, when you have an injury to the head, you're damaging the glymphatic system, even if just temporarily while the brain heals. Um, but that for that short period of time, um, the, uh, uh, the Disability of the lymphatic system leads to cognitive changes that can happen with traumatic brain injuries.
1: And, and one of the, the most famous cells in the Alzheimer's research is called the astrocyte. And astro means kind of star like, and site means cell. They're also called astroglia, which astro star like glia, as we mentioned earlier, is glue, right? And these are these cells that have actually been found to be the cells that form the glymphatic system and that's real i mean that's been imaged right and so these cells are making these tiny little ducts that are ducts that are beyond the um beyond what i described earlier and there i it sounds like they're kind of like collect collecting dust ducts um i see them described as perivascular tunnels meaning tunnels around um the vasculature and they're carrying the, all this stuff away that we're talking about, but they're also making sure that everyone gets their fair share of sugar and fats and amino acids, which are like the building blocks of protein and growth factors. And I say the building blocks of protein because, again, we things have to be really small to fit in this area. If you were to have full proteins, a lot of them wouldn't be small enough to fit. So the cells take them up and they'll make bigger things with them. But they have to be small enough that they can be transported around everywhere. This makes me think of that um, magic school bus thing. I want to go on a tour and be microscopic. <laughs> Pitch that. and that. Do I don't even know if they stuff. have that show anymore. Yeah, so, we should start a magic school bus
2: show. So what we were what we were about to talk about um, earlier was – that the hypothesis now is that if you get good sleep, your glymphatic system is going to be functioning at an optimal level. So to optimize your glymphatic system, the, um, the theory would be you optimize your sleep. So tips, tips on that would be essentially sleep hygiene tips.
1: What does sleep hygiene pray tell us?
2: So sleep hygiene um, is the, I, I I feel like the newer movement in sleep medicine where um, they're talking about sleep the same way they talk about basic um, exercise skills, uh, healthy eating skills. It's all about um, behavioral, daily behavioral um, exercises that you would do to ensure you get good sleep so that would be you know having a regular bedtime having a regular uh, time when you wake up having that cyclical constancy uh, really reinforces the body's natural sleep-wake cycle Um, and other things you can do for good sleep hygiene would be to limit your uh, access to technology or screens specifically because uh, screens Emit this blue light that just naturally keep us stimulated.
1: Another part of sleep hygiene, and we can go on this forever, but the these are so important for these sleep hygiene things are so important for so many different aspects of health. Um, another sleep hygiene thing that's that's extremely important is things called zeitgebers. So zeitgebers are cues from our environment that allow us to kind of make sure that our internal clock is going correctly. So some obvious ones are you want it to be dark at night. So that's calling back to Tosh saying don't use a screen at night because the screen is telling the brain, oh, it must be daylight. Or We didn't evolve checking Facebook, right? We evolved with the, the light going down at a certain time and also the temperature going down at a certain time. And um, I want to... Um, give credit here to some cool ideas we found from the um, Found My Fitness podcast, which is an an amazing podcast about, um, kind of in much, much more detail aimed at, I think, kind of health professionals for this kind of stuff. But basically, if you look at some societies and traditional kind of ways humans have interacted with sleep before technology, the sun going down is part of the sleep initiation, but but what they find is that it's not when the sun goes down that folks go to sleep. It's more like around 9 p.m. when the sun goes down and the land has started to um, dissipate that heat, and then the body temperature starts to go down once the, the temperature of the air and the land has gone down from the from there being no more light. So temperature turns out to be a very important zeitgeber. Other zeitgebers that are found to be very effective are bright light in the morning, but also... Um, listening to like loud music with a good beat in the morning, every morning when you wake up is an incredible Zeitgeiber and all of those things improve sleep quality, which in turn, you know, improves memory and improves ability to function and cru- improves ability to regulate emotion. Hmm. All right. That's
2: interesting. I think that upbeat music thing is interesting. I have never heard of that. I'd be interested to see what, why why that is or what the research is on that. But I, I do have a playlist on my Spotify account that's titled "Driving" and it's specifically to like get me amped for the workday. What is work? Any <laughs>
0: like song that we me, would recognize
2: wakes me up. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess I have some like lizzo on there maybe some like uh bachata some like dance dancing music
0: oh that would energize yeah all right all right so let, let me let me just get so we've got a good sleep all right so yes i i i need to i want to do that i want to get better sleep because i don't want alzheimer's i definitely don't want alzheimer's um mm-hmm. uh, or cancer, for that matter. But uh, okay, so anything else? Is there something about diet or exercise that helps with this system? Well, yeah. So both diet and exercise
1: impact this system, but but largely mediated through the way that they affect sleep. Um, so you know, I think that having a uh, I think you know, and and this this is I guess largely more on, and, and I'll address what Tosha mentioned about the rhythm thing. I think where I got that was from Carlat, the Carlett report. Um, some of this is either from small studies or from expert um, opinion. So the the data sets are, are smaller, or in some cases, it's just what someone who's been studying this has come up with. But there's, a, I think, a fairly um, common idea in medicine that one should try not to sleep um, within an hour or two of having eaten a large meal that sleep quality is better if one's able to not eat immediately before sleeping. Um, exercise improves sleep quality um, if done well the, the the traditional thought was it shouldn't be done too close before sleep and then there was one study that said that that's not actually true that it was more the light and the music and all the stuff associated with exercise that inhibits sleep, but that certain things like yoga and other exercises can be fine before sleep. Um, But certainly all those healthy living things, particularly, you know, let's say you're doing the exercise in the morning and you're also getting sunlight because of it. um, This sunlight that we get is so much more intense than even the most, you know, the brightest office lighting so that getting outside part can be one of the really helpful things with exercise as well
0: well okay so all right so i'm gonna do that it sounds like we we're also giving kind of tips on sleep which is good uh because this is like sounds like this is the main way to keep your lymphatic system healthy um is this can this be checked like can you go to the doctor and say How's, how's my lymphatic system? Ooh, I see. Or they'd be like, business and you like, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> this is going to be the next thing. Would I catch thing. the doctor, and then the doctor would feel uninformed and then ask me what the lymphatic system is because <laughs> now it might be even more useful for me. Yeah. I,
1: I, you know, one thing, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw us under the bus a little here, and I can admit that I've done this too. I think doctors, when they hear a new medical term from a patient, They are very suspicious and tend to be quite dismissive. Um, And like I know, for me, the first time I heard of the um, what is it, the MTHFR mutation, was from a patient, and they said like, "Shouldn't I get this test?" And I was like, "I don't think so." And then I do ask them where they they found found that point. (laughs) They said that they're. Where'd you find that on the internet? Did you? They said their like cousin was a fancy doctor or something, and that it just. I guess my own insecurity inhibited my open mindedness until ten minutes after the session, and I had to kind of. I had to apologize the next one and say, "You know what? Maybe that's a good idea." Um,
0: So don't do it in a caring way. Don't try to humiliate the doctor. Just say, (laughs) "Doctor, have you heard of the lymphatic system?" Doctor, are you enlightened like I am? It, but you know, going back to the reality, is there a way to check this, the, the health of this?
1: I mean, I, I wonder if this is there can, a test? It has been, it has been, you know, in in. I don't know, Tosha, Do you know if the 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 sort of um, tagger, like the radio tracer imaging of it, was done in animals or humans?
2: The um, study where they were using the those fluorescent markers was in. mice Mice, but i don't know if they've done it in humans yet
0: so we have yet to develop a test a reliable test which is you know makes sense
2: but i don't think you would do that on a uh, in a clinical on a clinical basis
0: yeah it would be for research okay so it's not going to be useful in a clinical way is that your what you're saying well, yeah. I think that maybe that in the
1: future, there might be clinical diagnosis of things that are going wrong with the glymphatic system. Like we know it's going wrong because of this, this and this. And in some ways we could say that that's already a thing, right? Like there's diseases called hydrocephalus um, and uh, forms of intracranial hypertension where, you know, basically the, the fluid's not getting cleared from your brain. And that could, you could call that a problem with your glymphatic system, Um, But, you know, I think all of this, we're we're still going to need to integrate this new term and way of thinking about it into the already existing diagnoses um, that have to do with brain fluid
0: clearance. And that, as far as I know, hasn't happened yet. And that's the final word. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today we talked about the glymphatic system. It's brand new. Uh, Alan and Tosha have done some research on it and we're sharing that with you. And it's an exciting new area having to do with uh, uh, all things like Alzheimer's disease and, and cancer and things like that. Uh, thank you to our co-hosts, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, suggestions for the show, you can write us at Get on KUCR at gmail.com, and you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. If you like tonight's show, please follow us, post a review. This episode is recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.